You are listening to the LifePoint Church Sermon of the Week. For more resources, visit us at lifepoint.cc. Served in this in this house, so um, I've missed all of you so much. This is this is family, and there is nothing like worshiping with family uh, in this place in this environment. You know. The Lord had led me and my wife uh, to take a season of rest, to take a season away, to trust him uh, in that way. And uh, the leadership team was, was gracious enough to, to do that. And so we felt led to, to go to actually relocate our family to Orlando, Florida, to be a part of a church called Jesus Image Church in Orlando. And we were in this environment of just electric worship and just abandonment. The, thing, the things the Lord is doing in that place is amazing. Um, but I want to like, tell you from the bottom of my heart, as we even were just worshiping, worshiping here this morning, there is this like, overwhelming faith and gratitude that I have for me being here in this place. Um, I'm thankful for what the Lord is doing other places in the world, but I have this like just undeniable conviction that the Lord wants to move in here in, in amazing ways. And there's a hunger in this house and a humility in this house that I am so thankful for, so grateful to the Lord for. The, the, the humility that you carry and the, the hunger for the Lord that you carry, um, I'm so thankful for. I, I believe it's a gift, a grace that the Lord has given our church. And... Um, so we, we spent seven weeks at Jesus Image Church, which I encourage you uh, to check them out online and, and you receive from them as well. I believe they have a lot, the leadership there I believe has a lot to say for this generation, for what the Lord is doing on the earth right now. And so uh, go ahead and check them out on, on YouTube or online. Uh, we received much. Uh, the Lord imparted much to our lives. We believe we are different because of our season there. Uh, Sunday mornings, Sunday nights, we were just in the presence of the Lord as a family, all six of us, just sitting there on our knees, waiting on the Lord, Lord, ministering to our hearts. And for us, that was a season of just receiving from him that we needed. Um, you know, I, I shared this with you before we left in June that, you know, Psalm 23 was, was a passage of scripture that the Lord had led me to that really uh, kind of kick-started this, that whole season of rest for us, that he is my shepherd and I have no want outside of him. He has everything that I need. He is more than enough. He is more than sufficient. And he will allow me to, to lie down in green pastures. That was, that was the word. Um, but I, I want to profess to you that the, the end of Psalm 23, that I do believe he has anointed my head with oil. I do believe my cup is overflowing. Uh, genuinely, I just believe my, my cup is, is overflowing with, with the love for Jesus. And that has been my prayer um, and the Lord really met us there. It was an amazing time as a family, the six of us, um, to be on an adventure with the Lord together, the six of us. I know my kids received a lot from the Lord. The Lord did a lot in my wife. I'm, I'm hoping you can hear more from her in, in the weeks to come. The Lord ministered to her, met us both in, in a significant way. Um, you know, we, we really created a rhythm. We were strategic with this time because we knew this was was a unique season for us. We weren't going to get a sabbatical, uh, the season of rest, um, who knows when, when again. So we'd been here for 10 years. We we're like, this is a rare, like, precious jewel, precious moments. We created a rhythm. And my wife would get out with the kids uh, most days, you know, for seven, eight hours. And there I got just to be with the Lord. I just got to seek the Lord and, and pour over scripture and allow his presence to pour over me and 
It took me about four weeks of that to break out of the um, kind of the, the rhythm that I'd, the grind that I had fallen into of receiving from the Lord for the purpose of teaching and imparting to others. And I believe the Lord gives a grace for that. And I believe, uh, obviously, the Lord has different offices in the church for people to, to minister his word. But I, I didn't want my relationship with the Lord to be reduced to that. I wanted to be able to, to sit with the Lord and receive from him just as a son, as a, as a child of God. It took about four weeks. And it was after a few days that I kind of looked back and I realized, wow, I'd finally experienced a breakthrough of just being able to be with the Lord, not for the purpose of figuring out how I'm going to teach what I just received from him, figuring out how, I'm gonna, how would I preach what I just received from him, you know, cheapening it to that level, but instead just receiving from him in a way like a child should. And loving on him just for the sake of loving on him, not for what I can receive from him for others. And uh, so that happened in my life. And that is one reason I do believe my, my cup is overflowing and the Lord has um, really done a significant work uh, in me and in my family. Um, you know, Pastor Tony shared with, with you uh, back towards the beginning of my sabbatical, uh, you know, what happened on July 4th. You know, for me, July 4th, uh, will, will be the day that I, uh, the Lord gave me new life. That will be the, forever the day that I remember where the Lord rescued me. Um, it was just honestly a, a regular day, a normal day. We were just swimming at a lake in uh, central western Minnesota. And uh, an inflatable toy started floating away from the, from the dock and a kid was going to go out and try to retrieve it. And it was going, the wind was blowing pretty hard and it was going fast. And so I stopped the kid and I said, hey, I'll go out and swim out and, and get it. And I am not like a, I was never a competitive swimmer, but I had enough confidence in my swimming ability that I, I thought I could retrieve this inflatable toy. And so I started swimming out to get this, this toy and, and it started blowing further and further, um, further than I was anticipating. And, and there was lots of weeds in this really small murky lake. Um, and so I made it through one batch of weeds, and I, th- I said, okay, I made it through that batch. I think I can still make it. The inflatable toy was still a long ways away. I hit the second batch of weeds, and I realized I was starting to run out of energy. I was starting to, it was starting to really wind me and, and, uh, and drain my energy. And, and so I had a choice in that moment. Could I get to the inflatable toy, or is this the moment that I turn back and try to get back to shore? Um, and I made the, the bad decision of trying to go for the inflatable toy. And because um, I thought if I could just grab the edge of it, like I'd be fine. Like I, I, I would have then something to, to keep me up. Um, and so I went for it, one last burst of energy. And the, the weeds at that point had started to tangle around my legs. And uh, it, was, it was too far gone. So fortunately, I'm so thankful to the Lord that I was able to turn around and shout for help back to shore. Um, but, you know, to my shock, uh, no, one, no one moved. No one, I, I cried for help. Help, somebody save me. And no one moved. Um, I'm sure because of disbelief. It wasn't, <laughs> I don't want to hold that against them. Uh, I know they all love me, but <laughs> the people are kind of in shock and processing, well, what in the world is happening? Uh, and it was in that moment that I had to grapple with the realities of death. I had to grapple with the, the, the likelihood that I was going to, that was going to be my end. Uh, the number, I remember the number 35 flashing through my, my mind's eye. Yeah, that was my age at the time. And um, I was like, 35, that's, that's the number of years the Lord has given me. 
and this is, this is my end. And uh, I cried for help one more time. I again turned my back to the shore. I looked up to the sky. Um, the sun was beating in my face, and I entrusted my life to the Lord. And the craziest thing happened. Um, the Lord, this beautiful exchange happened. The Lord imparted upon me this unexplainable peace, a peace that surpasses understanding. And so it's hard to believe, but just like three, four days earlier, uh, I was talking with a dear friend, and like men do, uh, he had asked the question, uh, what, 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 in your opinion, what's the worst way to die? And that's what guys talk about, I guess. And it was just the, the car, the road trip conversation. And uh, number one on my list right away was drowning. Like, honest to the Lord, that's what I had just said a few days prior. My, my worst fear of, of dying, the worst way I thought of dying was, was drowning. And, and there I was, faced with it. But in that moment, like, I entrusted the Lord with my life. And he gave me just a, an unexplainable peace. I can't uh, describe it in any other way than how Paul described that peace that surpasses understanding. And uh, so I started to sink. Like I just received this reality of eternity. And, and I started to sink underwater. And uh, as I hit the bottom of the lake, like I can still sense it. Like the, the weeds wrapped around my legs, the silt on the bottom of the lake, the Lord did give me this, um, this tension in my heart of a will to live. And I believe that's also a gift from the Lord, that he did give us a desire to live. Um, so that peace that he gave me was not some sort of desire to die or suicidal thought. Um, because at the bottom of the lake, the Lord gave me a picture of my wife and my kids and this will to live, that I'm supposed to give it the best chance possible. In that, there was no panic or fear. It was peace still, like unexplainable peace, but a will to live. And so I shot up with as much strength as I could um, up out of the water, and at least like my shoulders came out of the water. At that point, I saw from shore that people were starting to move into the water, but they were still a long ways away. So I did it again. I sank all the way to the bottom of the lake, and I shot up again. Uh, they were starting to make their way. I did that three times. By the third time, uh, my father-in-law, who's 60-some years old, just an amazing man of God, uh, he's had heart issues, and like, there's no reason in the world that he should be the one out there uh, saving me. <laughs> but he was about six feet away from me, and... Um, and that's the last thing I remember. I just remember sinking again. That's, that's all I remember. I was out, like um, blacked out or unconscious. And uh, from his account, he didn't know what he was going to do then because I was underwater. And uh, I came out one, one more time, miraculously. Like, I don't remember coming up again. Um, but he said as he was trying to figure out how he was going to go underwater and retrieve me, I came up again right in front of him. And they had a pool noodle there, and they, uh, him and another late, another stranger that was in the water uh, and a few others trailing behind were able to pull me out uh, and get me back to shore. I finally came to, and the paramedics were there over me, uh, putting me onto the, onto the gurney and into the ambulance. That's when I remember, that's what I remember again. And the Lord's hand was just on, on that whole uh, series of events to rescue me. The Lord rescued me. Um, the Lord has given me new life. The Lord 
I do believe like I'm, I'm a new man. Um, you know, when you have a brush with death, when you have a sense of the realities of eternity, uh, I do believe there's also in those moments a death to the fear of what people think. And so that's my warning to you. I may have less of a filter because I do believe like, time is so short. And, uh, and there's just no reason for us to, to beat around the bush. Like I do believe a fear of what people think and a fear of man is a form of self-preservation. It's a form of us trying to be the keepers of, keepers of our own life. And the Lord did uh, allow part of that to die in me uh, in that lake that day. And I praise the Lord for that. Um, the Lord rescued me because he delighted in me and because he's marked me for his purposes. Um, and so um, I, we went into the season, sabbatical season, and I told you this, that we were, we were drawing a line uh, for, our, for our church. The Lord had brought us here 10 years ago. And we really believe that the Lord is calling us to, to draw a line in the ground between the prior 10 years and the next 10 years. And, uh, and I feel like a new man, like the Lord has brought me from death to life. And if you don't understand, I want us to pray for this next season ahead as a church family. I believe the Lord has marked us. I, I, I stand before you telling my story. The Lord has called me to pastor this house, to pastor this church family. But the Lord has a purpose upon us as a church that's bigger than we can imagine, bigger than you could, could ever dream or hope. Um, truly, the Lord has a purpose for us that's bigger than us. And I want us to surrender ourselves to the Lord this morning, to mark these, these next number of years, this next chapter, this next season. So if you just uh, put yourself in a posture to surrender yourself to the Lord, maybe lift your hands or place your hands out in front of you as we surrender ourselves to the Lord in a fresh way. Lord, this morning, we lay down our lives. We surrender ourselves to you fully. We lay down our agendas. And as a church family, as LifePoint Church in Ames, Iowa, as, this, as, as, a, as a body of believers in this house, we surrender ourselves to you for your purposes. We're fully yielded and abandoned to your work in us. Time is of the essence and our lives are but a vapor. And so we place ourselves once again on the altar. We thank you for what you've done in the past. We thank you for the lives saved and for the lives transformed and for the marriages transformed and the bodies that have been healed and for people being filled with you, with your Holy Spirit. But Lord, we know you are positioning us for more, to be a house that hosts your presence, where people see Jesus, they see you for who you are, they see you in your beauty, they encounter you in a real way. That, Lord, that you would mark this house with your glory in a way that transforms this region in your mighty, holy name. Amen. Can we just worship the Lord? Can we praise, praise him right now? We worship you, Lord. Hallelujah, Lord. We praise you, God. Hallelujah, Lord. We praise you, Jesus. Lord, you are good. There's none like you. We worship you. Holy, holy, holy. We worship you, Jesus. You can go ahead and find your seats. I do want to share, share a message with you that's on my heart. Um, you can turn to Psalm 24 this morning. There's actually so much I want to share. We'll see how much we have time for. 
one thing that um, this kind of uh, uh, sense in my heart leading into this sabbatical for myself was this need to return to my first love. There is a, um, a beautiful childlike love that's sparked uh, when a person first encounters Jesus. And God's best for us is that that would continue to grow and grow and grow and burn brighter and brighter the longer and longer we walk with him. Um, but I had sensed in my heart like a waning in, in that first love. It's, it's like uh, the, the call that Jesus gives to the church in Ephesus in Revelation chapter 2, where he says that I know your works, your labor, your patience, and that you cannot bear those who are evil. So like all the things that you do, like Jesus was affirming those things in these believers in Ephesus. Like for the, the outward acts of persistence and perseverance and patience in their labor, and that you've tested those who say they are apostles and are not and found them liars, so they were discerning people. Like they had a real regard and honor for truth and for that which is holy and sacred. And you've persevered and you've had patience and you've labored for my name's sake and have not become weary. So these were just a a tough people. Nevertheless, I have this against you, that you have left your first love. Remember, therefore, from where you have fallen, repent and do the first works. Do those things that you did at first, when you first encountered the Lord, when, when you were just a child before him and things were so simple. Like life has a way of overcomplicating this life with Jesus, amen? I mean, that's a, tr- uh, a reality, that's a truth. Like life gnaws away at us, wears away at us to make it more complicated than it needs to be. When the Lord is calling us to be a first love people, that love him first and foremost, above all else, in a, a couple verses later then, as he's correcting the church in Laodicea, he says, because you say I am rich, have become wealthy, and have need of nothing, and do not know that you are wretched, miserable, poor, blind, and naked, I counsel you to buy from me gold refined in the fire, that you may be rich in white garments, that you may be clothed, that the shame of your nakedness may not be revealed, and anoint your eyes with eyes salve, that you may see. As many as I love, I rebuke and I chasten. Therefore, be zealous and repent. Behold, I stand in the door, I stand at the door and knock. If anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come to him and dine with him and he with me. At the same time as he was correcting in love the church in Laodicea, he was giving them this invitation to return back to love relationship with him. That they had become so self-sufficient in their materialism and opulence and affluence that they had slowly removed their, themselves from that place of dependence on the Lord. And so he gave them this invitation. He's like, I am standing at the door of your heart. I'm standing at the door of your church, of that church family in Laodicea, knocking, as that tender shepherd does. Yes, he is a a mighty king, as we're going to read about here in Psalm 24, but he is also a meek, humble shepherd who politely stands at the door and knocks, waiting for someone to open the door that he may come in and commune with them, actually share a meal with them, have intimacy with them, communion with them. And I believe that, is, that was the invitation the Lord was giving me in this season, 
which then led me to Psalm 24. That picture, and that's the imagery that I want to paint for you this morning, the imagery of Jesus standing at the door, standing at the gate, waiting for someone to open the door for him. He wants to be a welcomed king in your house, in the house of your heart, and in our house as a church. He wants to be welcomed, adored, and honored, and revered. And so we're not going to read all of Psalm 24, although every verse is just packed with power. But verse 7 is that imagery where it says, Lift up your heads, O you gates, and be lifted up, you everlasting doors. The the Hebrew there is actually like ancient doors, like these doors of old, these doors that have tracked with all of humanity. And the king of glory shall come in. Who is this king of glory? The Lord strong and mighty. The Lord mighty in battle. Lift up your heads, O you gates. Lift up, you everlasting doors. And the king of glory shall come in. Shall come in. Who is this king of glory? The Lord of hosts. Meaning the, the hosts of the heavens. What we just sang about. All the angels. All the hosts in the universe. He is the Lord over all. And he is the king of glory. I want to share a message with you this morning entitled that. The king of glory. The king of glory. His name is Jesus And he's looking for doors wide open. He's looking for gates to be open to him, to welcome him in his beauty and in his wonder. So I want to present to you that picture of your heart having these doors. And the doors of our heart are looking for the one. The gates of our heart are looking for the one who will fulfill every longing. Our hearts are searching for something, for someone that will satisfy these deep, uh, God-given desires and longings. So imagine your heart this morning being like like a large fortress or a castle. You can imagine it right now in your mind's eye with all of these gates, these doors. And God has created your heart as a habitation for himself. He created you for himself. To be fulfilled in him. That's the only place you'll ever find your satisfaction, your fulfillment is in him. And so this whole Christian life, this whole Christian experience isn't just about punching a ticket to heaven. It's not just about God saving you from hell. The greater narrative of Christianity is God being with you, being with humanity. John 17 verse 3, Jesus says it in that very way. He says, and this is eternal life. This is, this is heaven, that they might know you, the only true God in Jesus Christ whom you've sent. That is eternal life, is beholding the Lord, knowing the Lord, being with him, and him being with you. And so he has actually created you to, in what we're tasting and seeing in this age, in this new covenant age, ever since the time of Jesus. What we're witnessing before our eyes is a people who actually get to host God himself in us. That's, that's what marks the, the transformative life of a believer, is us actually hosting Holy Spirit. 
But there's this way within us. It's the way of sin where we choose other things. And it's been said that you know, sin is just choosing to satisfy yourself in, in any other way other than the Lord. Very simply. And so we have these gates of our heart where we, we open up our hearts, open up our doors and the gates of our heart to other things, saying, come, fulfill me. Come, satisfy me. Come, soothe my heart. Come, soothe these nagging feelings of lack that I have in my heart. Come, satisfy me. They fill us, but never for long. And so we do this throughout our lives. We open up our gates. We open up our doors to these things that they might fill us and soothe this nagging lack in our soul, but it never lasts. In fact, they come. We open up our gates to them. We open up our doors and they come and they actually leave us worse off and more unfulfilled than ever before. This is so important, I believe, in this generation. We are so full of distractions. We're so full of noise. Every generation has their, um, like has their version of, of the noise. But this generation has gotten so loud with all the distractions vying for our attention, saying, give me your affection. I can satisfy. You know, look at me, look at me. These shiny things that, that want to um, tempt you into believing that somehow they can fulfill you. They can satisfy you. So the, so the psalmist, David, he tells us to turn the eyes of our heart, turn the gates of our heart towards this king of glory. Lift up your heads, gates, doors of your heart. Look at this one, this one in whom you long for, this king of glory, that he may come in. He is the one we are longing for. He is the one that you are longing for. Later, David says in Psalm 36, How precious is your loving kindness, O God. Therefore, the children of men put their trust under the shadow of your wings. That's God's best for us. As the children of men, that we'd put our trust, that we would rest in that place under the shadow of the Lord's wings. It's there that they are abundantly satisfied with the fullness of the Lord's house. Like more than enough. That's that life and life abundant that Jesus talked about. David is prophesying about that day that would come. And you give them drink from the river of your pleasures. For with you is the fountain of life. In your light we see light. So he becomes everything. He becomes water for our soul. Light to see. Food that sustains us. He becomes fullness. Like we are filled. And if you haven't heard this before, then you haven't heard the gospel. The gospel meaning good news. His life for yours. So you can lay down your life and receive his life. That is the good news of Jesus. The gospel is you and I, no, you and I now being able to stand before the Lord because Christ stood before the Father as us. It's the presence of the Lord now in our lives, that invitation for the presence of the Lord because Christ stood before the Father for us. The gospel is the offering of God's presence based upon the righteousness of Christ. The gospel is Jesus taking on our sins so that we don't have to. And in exchange, he gifts us with new life, his spirit, daily fellowship, 
and eternal life. That is the gospel. That is the good news of Jesus. That is that king of glory being revealed two millennia ago. Jesus then, when he steps on the scene, you know, David here in Psalm 24 is just a vessel of the Lord. You know, it's, it's later said that these, these prophets were, were led by the Holy Spirit as they penned these, these words of the, old, of the Old Testament. And he was led by Holy Spirit to be able to see this age to come when this king of glory would be revealed. So we see in John chapter 4, the king of glory saying this very thing in a conversation with a woman who was just in survival mode. Like she was literally living day to day trying to eke out her existence. And we, we've all probably been there, trying to just make it one more day. If I can just make it, eke it out. Like life is so difficult, so much stuff coming at us at any one day. This woman was in that desperate place. And she was literally just drawing water midday, trying to be unnoticed by people. But Jesus noticed her. And they were having a conversation about water, so she thought. But here Jesus answered and said to her, whoever drinks of this water will thirst again. Talking about the water that was coming up out of this well. But whoever drinks of the water that I shall give him will never thirst. But the water that I shall give him will become in him a fountain of water springing up into everlasting life. That is the life of God that is available to every believer. So if you think of your, your heart as a picture of this, this fortress with gates, specifically I want you to think of four gates that I believe every human uh, has a desire for. That's actually God-given. But these, these gates are only meant to be open and fulfilled through one, through the King of glory, that he may come in and satisfy the first is the gate of righteousness or the gate of the conscience or the gate of right standing with the Lord. Every human being on the planet has this knowledge of the fact that they are broken, that they are a sinner. They may not say in that way, but they know they're not perfect. I've said this so many times that I've never yet met a, met a person that thinks that they are perfect. Like everyone knows that they're a little off. That's called sin. And God has put that in us, that that, that knowledge that before a holy God, if there was a holy God, that we would stand condemned. Romans chapter one talks about that. How that's why we are all without excuse, that we all stand condemned. The Lord has put in us a conscience. That's the gate of the conscience. And so, so often the solution or the, the way in which we open that gate up for other things to fulfill it, to satisfy it, is through religion. We say, if I can just do enough good works, if I can just impress others or maybe impress the Lord enough, then I would stand in right standing before the Lord someday. We fall prey to the dead works of religion, but there is only one who can cleanse our conscience. He is the King of glory. He is Jesus Christ. Earlier in Psalm 24, David asked that question, who can ascend the hill of the Lord? Like who can come and actually come before a holy God? Well, the answer is no one, only who has a pure heart and clean hands. That was Jesus, the one who was without sin, who was actually tempted in every way, but yet was without sin. The prophet Isaiah says that our righteousness is like filthy rags. And so the good news is this, is Hebrews chapter 10, 
where it says, let us draw near with a true heart in full assurance of faith. We're opening the gates of our heart that our hearts would be sprinkled clean from an evil conscience and our bodies washed with pure water. There is no answer in dead religion. There's no answer in in fulfilling the rules that some person puts before you, that you somehow satisfy. You'll always find it is a dead end that leaves you feeling empty and unsatisfied. The gate of the conscience or the gate of righteousness is only fulfilled in Jesus. I'm going to ask the worship team to come forward. The second gate is this. You should be writing these down. The gate of righteousness or the gate of conscience. Number two is the gate of worship. things that come and go, things that we know really do not matter. I mean, let's, let's be honest. Can you even remember who won the Super Bowl two years ago? Or one year ago, for that matter. Like, these things come and go. Entertainment, stars and celebrities and movies and all the things that our hearts cling to and clamor for. They come and go in a, in a moment. That is the gate of worship that we're opening up to these things. God has created us to worship, so he's put that desire in us to adore things, to be in in wonder and awe of things, but it's only meant to be opened up to one, to the eternal one, the king of glory, the unchanging one, the one in whom we will worship for all all of eternity, the one in whom that, that song of the ages, holy, 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 will never get old, because in greater and greater depths and, and magnitudes, we will be we will be seeing how he stands alone, like set apart from all others. So again, we'll just cry out, holy, you are holy. You are, there's none like you, Lord. And we'll fall down again on our faces. That is the gate of worship that's only meant to be fulfilled in Jesus. In fact, we will never be fulfilled until our attention is turned towards him. Third is this, is the gate of righteousness or conscience, the gate of worship. Third is the gate of pleasure. We fill this gate with, with temporary pleasures. We fill this with things that numb us from pain and from regrets. We fill it with, with money and sexual sin and substances, anything that, that gets us through the pain of the moment. The Lord put that gate in you, the gate of pleasure. He put that in you. That is something that is eternal about you that's Uh, actually bears the image of God. He created us to have a capacity for pleasure. In Psalm 16, that in his, says that in his presence, there is fullness of joy. And in his right hand, there's pleasures forevermore. That is meant to be opened up to one, this king of glory, the eternal one, Jesus. And fourth is this, is the gate of relationship or intimacy. So it's the gate of righteousness or conscience, the gate of worship, the gate of pleasure. And fourth is the gate of relationship or intimacy or communion with others. We all have a desire to connect with others. And we fill this gate superficially by putting undue expectations on others, by expecting them to fill us relationally. We are called into relationship with other people, to covenant with people. But ultimately, God has called us into friendship with him. And that friendship is unlike anything we can experience on this earth. It's intimacy with the Lord. It's friendship with Jesus. It's knowing God, walking with him. If you'd all stand in this place.
There's so much more I would wanted to share, but I want to call us to a close. I want to call, call us to respond to the Lord. The psalmist here, David, he is saying the gates, gates of your heart, lift up your heads and recognize the king of glory. These are ancient gates. These are ancient doors that are uh, the common denominator from generation to generation. These ancient doors of the conscience and of worship and pleasure and, and relationship. And what David said is, lift up your heads, gates, that he may come in. Make room for him. Make room for the king of glory. Sister Bessalia Schlink says this, that he cannot make this, or he cannot give this gift to a heart which is already filled. There'd be no room for it. The Lord, Jesus, is seeking untenanted hearts, like hearts that don't have a tenant already. Cast out everything that fills your heart and you will gain the most precious object in the world, the closest, the most intimate, the holiest and strongest bond of love. This is applied to your life individually, but it's also applied to our church. I've told you, I believe this is only going to grow in the days to come, that we have this cry in our hearts for the glory of God, the King of glory, to be the centerpiece of this church, of all that we do. Not just in words, not just in some banner somewhere, or some statement that we read, but in our actions, that truly the King of glory would be at, at the center of what we do. It would be all about him. In, in fact, during worship, I saw Jesus walking through the aisle, touching eyes that people would see him finally, touching their chests so that their hearts would begin to move for him. Like that the King of glory would come into this place and be welcomed here. How many churches in America is Jesus not even welcomed in? And how often have we kept him at arm's length? The cry of the psalmist, the cry of David before Jesus even touched foot on the planet was let the king of glory come in, that he may come in. Oh, there's so much more here. If you'd all close your eyes right now, bow your heads, there's so much more here and we'll have to come back to it. I want you to look up with your heart right now and make room for the king of glory. There are two, two responses that I want to call for this morning. One is for those in this place that need to get right with God. You know you haven't been placing your trust in him, your faith in him as your sufficiency, as your savior, as your Lord. And this morning you need to do that. You need relationship with Jesus. You need friendship with God. It only comes by looking at the cross and recognizing that he took your place and you want new life this morning. If that's you in this place, would you, would you raise your hand? Awesome. Thank you. Thank you. Anybody else? Secondly, if you're here in this place, and as I was sharing earlier, and you know, Jesus was getting the attention of the church in Ephesus and Laodicea, he's calling them back to first love. You'd say as we're, as we're talking about opening up our hearts to other things and how that 
Ultimately, God has called us to only open up ourselves to him as the king of glory. You'd say, Drew, I need a, a renewal of that first love. I need, I need a, to come back to him, back to the first things in him again. If that's you, would you just raise your hand? Awesome. Awesome. Let's just, let's just do this. If you raise your hand, very quickly, we just move out of your seats both for those that needed to surrender their life to Christ and for those that want a first love encounter with the Lord. Just come forward. Just come forward to the front. There was so many hands. I just want us to respond to the Lord. And very quickly, because we are way out of time, let's respond to the Lord. Lord, this morning, we surrender ourselves to you. If you need to encounter the Lord as your Savior, pray a prayer like this. Lord, I surrender myself to you. I surrender myself to you as Savior, as Lord. You are the one that cleanses cleanses my conscience. You are the one who removes my sin. You took my place on that cross. And I place my faith in you. I lift up my head and recognize you this morning. That you came to earth to take my place. That you rose from the dead to demonstrate to you the authority to do so. That you ascended to heaven and you sit at the right hand of the Father. That you sent Holy Spirit to come and live inside of me. And today I step into that new life in you. A new life, new beginning in your mighty name. For those that prayed that prayer, let's give them a huge hand. It's a a big deal. For those that came to experience a first love with the Lord, let's pray. Lord, meet us here this morning. Meet these individuals who have come for a touch. They've like they've heard the call in Scripture for them to return to the first things. To look and, and then repent. To see how far they've fallen and to repent and turn back to the first things. So they're doing that, Lord. They're here at this altar. And it doesn't matter if this is their thousandth time at an altar. You're going to meet them here, King of glory. Meet them here. Speak to their hearts. Fill them afresh. Allow them in these days to come to walk in your presence. To walk in an awareness of, of who you are. I pray in your mighty name, fill them this morning. Jesus. I'm going to call Kyle forward to come up and clean up my mess. And, uh, and thank you so much again for being so hungry and, and open to the things of the Lord. Come on, Kyle. We're just getting started. Like seriously, buckle up. The Lord is taking us somewhere together as a church family. So I just commend you for your hunger for the Lord. This has been the LifePoint Church Sermon of the Week. For more resources, visit us at lifepoint.cc.